You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 16 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson. Do you have clients who trade in CFDs? Let me guess. They probably make a loss. At least all of my clients trading CFDs make a loss. So I called the ATO a couple of weeks ago to clarify the tax treatment of CFD losses under their TR 2005-15. And the lady I spoke to on the phone had never heard of CFDs. So I thought it would be good to clarify what a CFD, a contract for difference, actually is before we look at the tax treatment of these in a future episode. To do this, I spoke to Jonathan Preston, who traded CFDs for quite a few years. I asked Jonathan to walk us through the basics of a CFD. What is a CFD? Here's Jonathan's answer. Contracts for Difference, which is CFD, in full. Basically, it's a derivative style of contract. And what this basically means is that you are effectively swapping the performance of the underlying asset with someone else. So I'm going to go back to where this kind of originated. So you originally, I believe this is the origin of it, where you had, say, an investment bank, and they might have owned some shares in, let's say, a company like Microsoft. Now, them owning the shares in something like Microsoft means a lot of volatility for their profit and loss and for their balance sheet. So what they would effectively do is they would get someone else to buy a CFD from them, what which basically means that another party, the person who's buying the CFD, will then be responsible for the full movement of the Microsoft shares. However, the company retains ownership of the Microsoft shares. So, for example, if I own a thousand shares of Microsoft, I sell you a CFD to basically go long on those Microsoft shares. What means is that from the moment of that purchase, from there on in, you are responsible for the full profit and loss movement of those Microsoft shares. So if those thousand shares go up a dollar tomorrow, you're gaining a dollar on every one of those shares. And likewise, if they go down a dollar, you know, over tomorrow, then basically you're responsible for that full loss as well. So you've acquired a derivative, which basically then makes you responsible for the full profit and loss of that position, but you have not physically taken possession of the asset. Does that make sense so far? Yes, it does. What is a derivative? Okay, so a derivative is basically a financial instrument that is created where will somehow mirror the performance of the underlying asset, but you are not actually changing the ownership of that underlying asset. And this can take place in many different forms, be it a CFD, a futures contract, an options contract. And each of these style derivatives will have uh, some different parts to it. And normally this relates to how the performance will be paid or the time expiry of it, or whether there is a fee associated with the time value of that instrument. So with derivatives, you never actually own the asset. It's basically just a speculative form where you bet on the movement of market value. 
In most cases, that's correct. You can also use it as a hedging instrument. So where you are um, not only speculating on the performance, but perhaps you already own the asset and you want to have the uh, performance risk offset. So you can use it to hedge your position. Um, however, there are derivatives such as options where you are buying the right to buy or sell the underlying physical contract or the underlying physical asset later on down the track. So it's a derivative now, but one of the results of the derivative can be that you would become the owner of the actual uh, asset down the track. So in modern trading, we mainly use it for speculatory, uh, speculative purposes, but there are some derivatives that are designed that you can, uh, you know, use it to potentially acquire or sell the actual asset down the track. Mm -hmm. So when I did some reading about CFDs, it said that it is used to speculate on the rising or falling prices of fast moving global financial markets. And I think the focus is on fast moving. It has to be a fast moving market. Otherwise, the CFDs don't really work, do they? They can. The thing is that you do have holding costs associated with the CFD. So because uh, by definition, it is a leveraged product, um, there is normally a holding cost in terms of like the interest cost of borrowing that money that's associated with it. And so if you are buying, uh, you know, using a CFD to go long on an asset, you are typically going to be paying interest Each on day. that holding. Exactly. Now, depending on the provider, the interest calculation differs, but most uh, retail providers of CFDs will charge interest on the full position, not just on the amount that you haven't deposited. So for example, if you put a 50% deposit down on like a $10,000 position, they're likely to charge you interest on the whole $10,000, even though you've put 50% up as cash. Now that doesn't necessarily mean every provider will do that, but most of the retail providers we see will. And as a result of that, because your transaction, I guess, holding cost is rather high, you generally want the asset to move you know, in your direction sooner rather than later, but it all comes down to the overall economics of it. And, you know, if you're making a profit overall, well, it doesn't, I guess, need to move that quickly. But most of the time, uh, people are using it for, you know, fast moving kind of markets. That's correct. Mm, because the interest is calculated each day, hence the interest is quite high. It also gives a very sort of easy way to get a lot of exposure to some markets that may be challenging to otherwise access as a retail investor. So let's say you want to trade like soybeans or, you know, some kind of like other commodity futures. If you're just a, a normal person sitting at home and you've got five grand in your bank account, it's not going to be so easy for you to traditionally go out and start speculating on something like soybeans without there being huge transaction costs and without putting up a huge amount of margin requirement um, versus if you were to use a CFD, it brings it down to more of a bite-sized contract contract, if you will, and your transaction costs can be you know, significantly reduced. So it does provide, uh, I guess, an easy way for a sort of retail speculator to access a wider range of markets, if you will. CFD is usually used for global financial markets, or is it really that every financial market nowadays is a global financial market because everybody, every country buys and sells in other countries as well? You can use it for both you know, purposes, uh, you know, Australian providers of CFDs will have a great deal of coverage across Australian markets, but uh, they will also cover a lot of other markets as well. 
And uh, a lot of you know people who are trading CFDs here are using it because it is a very convenient way to access overseas markets. If we look at our traditional stockbroking uh, sort of firms, you know, traditionally the ones here that will allow you to buy and sell shares, they're often aligned with the big banks, and the commission cost of buying and sh- selling shares can be quite high. And if you want to trade in physical futures, which is the closest equivalent to CFDs, uh, let's say you want to trade the S and P 500, which is the big U.S index or say the other commodity markets, it's really, you know, almost inaccessible, if you will, uh, to utilize a small amount of money to access these markets in an economic way. But a CFD brings them down to a bite-sized contract. You don't have a big premium for using them. And so it, it makes it quite a convenient way to trade global markets, basically. I did some reading and came up with an example where the shares for ABC are trading at 98,100. How do you actually say that? 98 is the sell price and 100 is the buy price. How do you yep. say that in kind of financial market expert language? Yep. So that's the bid ask spread. Do you say 98,100 or do you yep. say 98 slash 100? You'd just say nine, it's trading at 98,100 or quoting this to someone who's looking to buy. You know, you'd work out what they're looking to actually acquire. And then, you know, you would give them the price custom on that. So if you know they're buying, then you're going to quote the 100. But the other thing here is to consider is that 9800 reflects where the highest prices are, but it does not take into account the volume available. So, for example, if someone's, you know, offering to buy one share at 100 cents and someone's offering to sell one at 98 cents, you know, then... The amount of liquidity there is very minimal. But if someone wants to come along and acquire 100,000 shares, the actual price at which that's available may be very different to that. Mm. So the spread reflects, I guess, the closest to you know points in the market, but it doesn't actually take into account where perhaps there's sufficient liquidity for you to transact. Okay. Mm-hmm. Walking through this example, so this share is trading at 98,100. That means you have to pay 100 cents to buy it and you get 98 cents to sell it. If you wanted to buy 10,000 CFDs at 100 cents, that would be $10,000. But we actually don't pay the $10,000. I think then something comes in like a margin rate, isn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the margin rate means that we actually only pay $300 mm-hmm, instead mm-hmm. of the 10,000. Who sets the margin rate? Is that the um, platform where I by the CFD. Exactly right. So the provider of the CFDs will be the one who decides on the margin. So there's a few things to factor in here. So they might quote you a 3% you know, margin on it, which means that, yeah, you're only going to put down $300 as like the holding margin, but you are um, also likely to pay a commission on this. Or if it's a global market, like a, you're trading the future, just like S&P underlying, something like that, there may not be any commission associated. But you will be instantly at a loss here as well, because, you know, if you're buying at 100 cents and the sell price is 98 cents, you're already sitting on a loss as soon as you end the transaction. And for But the, that's always the case, isn't it? Exactly. Always the case. And another factor here is that as the price moves, you're immediately responsible for having enough money in your account to hold that position. So let's say the market instantly goes down to 50 cents a share. You're taking a $5,000 
loss in one second. And then if the provider looks at your account and sees that you do not have that 5,000 in there, that will just close your position out. And then even if one minute later, it goes back to the old price, you know, you're out and that's too bad. And all they will really? look, all they will look at is whether something actually transacted at that price. And if it transacted at that price, you had to have enough money in your account to withstand it or it's too bad and, and you're done kind of thing. Really? So that means even though I only pay a margin of $300 for the $10,000 CFDs, mm-hmm. I actually need to have $10,000 or more in the in the bank account. So in case I have a loss, that my position won't be closed. Exactly. But 99% of people are doing this are doing it in quite a speculative way. So they might only have, let's say, like $1,000 in their account. So they're prepared that if it goes down a thousand worth of value, so, you know, just say 10% minus your transaction cost, that they're willing for their position to be closed out. But then conversely, if it goes up, you know, by 10% the next day, they're going to get that full thousand dollars of profit so if you're doing a three percent margin only you you know you're extremely leveraged in this case okay and so that's something that um, you need to factor in and, and uh, a characteristic of cfds yes yeah, so is, mar- is the margin rate of three percent quite unusual a margin rates usually higher it depends on the instrument so when you're trading uh, like a global index or something that is a very liquid market very large market and tends to exhibit less volatility then the margin requirement is much lower. But if you're talking about a small speculative stock, uh, then the margin rate is going to be much higher. And so basically, they sort of adjust it depending on the market, and they can change this uh, quite frequently as well. So you need to generally have a lot more than that in your account. Yeah, I see. So the margin rate is basically to, to make sure there's already enough money on the table in case there is a loss. The margin can't be drawn down on. You need additional funds to draw down on on top of the margin. The margin is just like your minimum to open it. As soon as it moves against you, if you don't have enough money to hold it, you're out. The margin cannot be drawn down on. That must be held at all times. Okay. When I close, and let's say I made a $300 loss, I paid $300 because the margin rate was 3%. Mm-hmm. I closed the position with a $300 loss. Mm-hmm. Then that $300 I paid for the margin rate would be offset with the loss. I don't have to pay the loss in addition to the margin rate I paid. Sort of, yeah. The the margin is not actually paid to the provider. It just becomes temporarily locked in your account. Oh, okay. Yep. So it's kind of like frozen in there. It's not gone. It's like a security deposit. Exactly right. Ah, okay. Let's say this speculator actually makes a profit out of this CFD mm-hmm. and the share price actually moves to 110, 112. Mm-hmm. So he or she decides to close the buy trade and sells at 110 cents. So bought at 100 cents, sells at 110 cents, makes a profit of $1,000, then has to pay commission at entry, has to pay commission at exit, but basically mm-hmm. walks away with, with a profit of $900 something, depending on how high the commission is. So this $900 profit is then paid out by the uh, by the platform where the trade happened. Correct. It will, in most cases, like just go immediately into your equity position on the, the trading platform. If the person makes a loss and let's say the share price goes down to 93, 95 and the speculator decides to close the trade and sell at 93, resulting in a $700 loss, then the platform would immediately go into the account and take the money out or close the position if there's not enough money in there. Mm-hmm. And this the loss and the profit occur in real time. So the money doesn't come out when you close the trade. 
the money comes out that second that it moves. So your account balance will tick up and down like every second as the value oh, okay. of it. You're, you're responsible for the profit and loss in real time. Okay. And so as soon as the account ticks into negative, the position is closed. Not by not automatically. What will happen is normally on the for the companies that I've worked for, um, what will happen is when you reach their liquidation level, which means you don't have enough equity in your account to hold the position anymore, it will typically come up on like a monitor on their screen, and then they will look to manually close your position out. So it's not necessarily uh, live, and you can um, you can suffer even worse from that because. Because generally it is a manual uh, liquidation. If it takes them time to get to your position and close it, you know, they might not give you the first price at which you were out. They might give you the price at the time they were able to execute it. And so in a fast moving market, that can mean quite a big difference in terms of your account balance. So it's, there are some providers, I think, that will auto do it. But most of the ones that I'm familiar with, it is a manual thing that they will close out your position if, mm. if it gets to that level. Tell me how you became a CFD trader. So I worked in the industry for a number of years. So and what, what does that mean? Initially, I worked, well, I've worked for two different CFD providers, uh, basically from um, like a client service position to account management position. I've spent some time in their dealing rooms. So client service position means you liaise with the people who are trading in CFDs. Correct. So from the from that side, helping people own account, uh, put open accounts, put money in their accounts, help them understand their positions, all that kind of thing. Then basically account management, so helping people uh, meet margin calls when they were a given time to meet a margin call. Yeah, because I think I mean, usually you're not allowed to trade in CFD straight away. You first have to kind of qualify. You have to show that you are a sophisticated investor. So were you were you in this qualifying? process that you decided whether somebody is ready to trade in CFDs? For the companies I worked for, you just had the com the clients basically just had to nominate. They understood what they were doing okay. and then put the money in and they were basically allowed to allowed to go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that was that was the first position. And then the second position was the account the account position you just mentioned. I interrupted you. I'm really sorry. That's right. So across the two companies I worked for, basically I probably worked in about five or six different roles across the two companies. And it was it was after I finished working for the companies that I became a trader of myself in CFDs. You can't really trade it while you're working for one of these companies because it's potentially a conflict of interest and you can see too much volume being transacted in client positions and whatnot. But in terms of when I worked for companies, I, I saw a whole range of it from, you know, the account opening, uh, money going in, liquidations, and then the dealing side of it. So, you know, the orders coming through, people being quoted prices, uh, actually liquidating clients' positions, talking to really big traders who had massive positions who wanted to keep them open and, you know, basically explained that they had like an open line of credit because they were known to be wealthy. Um, so some people would get to this level of size of volume that the provider will treat them differently to a standard client. Uh, so being able to see that and Uh, the most amazing thing was that I was able to have an overview of all the accounts of these firms. And, you know, I probably saw, you know, a hundred thousand different accounts and you can see a very small fraction of winners and those people win big, but the vast, vast majority of people uh, basically were uh, far over leveraged and basically took enormous losses. Uh, really it's CFDs are really um, a game of temptation of leverage 
And that's where most people go wrong. But if you play it right, there certainly is a lot of room to, to profit. Yeah. If all these people lost on their CFDs, mm -hmm. who wins? Is it the platform that offers this trading? Okay, so this part also depends on you as a client. So what happens is the different providers mark you generally as a level of trader. And sometimes it's by the amount of money you put in. Sometimes it's by your big name. Um, sometimes it's by the size of your positions or it's by your known competency or the style of trading that you do. Uh, in general, most of the companies that I've worked for, by default, they will not take an underlying position. They will effectively be betting against you. They will they will let you open your positions and they will assume you're going to lose. And when you lose, they will just collect the money. But if you can show that you're a competent trader and you continually win or your position is very large that would put the provider at risk, then they will take the position often alongside you. Or if they really believe you're really good, they might even take your position and go even bigger go on it themselves so they can see the volume that gets transacted and it comes down to their dealing teams to manage the risk um, and often you know if you have half of your clients betting on you know one thing and they're betting in one direction and the other half of your clients are betting in the other direction so effectively everything just offsets each other and they're just collecting the transaction costs along the way that can be quite a nice outcome for them as well but uh, it comes down client to client and how they choose to hedge your position or Uh, how they choose to manage the exposure you're giving them effectively. Yeah, because you need they need to hedge because they basically always hold the other side of the trade, don't they? Exactly right. But it means that if um, most of most CFD traders lose, it means they by by definition win. For the ones that they're not hedging their position, that's right. And my experience for the companies I worked for, probably more than 99% of clients, they were just taking the opposite position on. Oh, okay. Even though there was such a poor track record of everybody losing on CFDs, they still hedged it. No, no, 99% of the time they would be betting against you. Okay, so I'm, they weren't hedging it. No, so exactly. they were collecting the wins. Exactly. But there were some times when someone would really prove themselves and then that's when that person I would see. typically become marked and then they would... Yeah, they would say, okay, Peter Smith, he seems to be knowing what he's doing. He seems to win every time, so we need to hedge every one of his positions. Exactly. But Sally, Sally Miller... <laughs> doesn't seem to know it doesn't seem to know anything loses every time so don't worry just let her pretty let much. her position open yeah mm. pretty much mm. okay mm. okay i got that and cfds are often used to hedge existing share portfolios mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but that's probably have you seen a lot of retail investors doing that or is that more institutional investors who hedge their own share position with CFDs? My understanding is more institutional. It doesn't mean that retail investors shouldn't do it. But in my experience, while it is discussed a lot, I didn't see it very often. You do see some people that will try and run like a balanced portfolio, what's known as sort of long short, where they might hold a number of long positions to so say they might buy shares in, say, 10 companies, and then they might sell shares in 10 companies. And then they might be looking to basically profit from, you know, their speculation on the specific shares Uh, and that way they don't have the specific market exposure. And so to give you an example of that, they might buy their two favorite bank shares and then they might sell two bank shares as well. And so effectively, like their market risk, if you will, is sort of considered neutral because whether the market goes up or down, they've bought and sold the same amount of shares. But what they're betting on is the specific performance 
of some of the shares outperforming the others. So it's not uncommon to see people sort of part hedging portfolios like that. Uh, but I didn't see that many cases of someone just looking to purely offset you know, the amount of shares they were holding somewhere, but certainly it, it is possible. And I'm sure there are some people that do it. Yeah. Are most CFDs traded by institutional investors? Uh, yeah, sophisticated investors? Or do you have a lot of mums and dads in the CFD market? So I believe the origin of it comes from like investment banking and from uh, large institutions. But I believe in today's market, it's very much a retail product. And almost everyone trading it is is retail and generally quite small in size. Uh, generally, when people get to uh, a large-ish position size, so when I'd say perhaps they're trading with more than 250000 in cash, they tend to be more with physical-style providers. It mo The vast majority of accounts held less than ten dollars or $5,000 in them. So most CFD traders lose. And most CFD traders are retail and because the, um, the institutions have worked out that it's not a good way to win. I don't know if I'd say the institutions have worked out that it's not a good way to win, but uh, institutions tend to not speculate so much. They tend to be more considered, I guess, in their investment decisions and they tend to not leverage as much. And if you are trading a large position size, Uh, CFDs may not be the most efficient or may not be the cheapest way to do that. Using physical futures may actually uh, be cheaper, but CFDs provide a very convenient way to get a lot of exposure very quickly. And so that's where I think it largely appeals to the retail market. You mentioned that after you were an official CFD trader, you actually started trading CFDs yourself. Yep. How did that go? So after I finished uh, in the CFD game, I was uh, trading, you know, uh, I guess more and more for myself. Um, I'd spent quite a few years with different strategies uh, and there were a number of things that I learned working for the CFD providers and What I learned was that a few people that I saw did consistently do well. And a lot of it was down to your risk profile and finding the right strategy that worked for your risk profile. And if you read a lot of trading books, you'll see that a lot of it comes down to having the right strategy and the right fit for you. Now, one of the things there is that uh, there was a trading style that I encountered through a client that I saw over a long period of time that did quite well. Um, basically, he was uh, writing options through CFDs, so basically selling options. So basically, uh, allowing it, an option is basically where you know you buy the right um, to acquire an asset uh, at a future date. So you're sort of speculating on the performance of it, and there's a one-off fee in exchange for that. Now you can be the other side of that trade, so you can be the one that sells the option, and so as long as the Uh, asset doesn't move really far, you end up collecting the premium for that. And I found someone who successfully did this over and over by basically just selling uh, out of the money options and collecting the premiums. Now, this strategy works most of the time, but occasionally you'll encounter an enormous loss when the asset price does move beyond that that position. But anyway, I found that that was a good fit for my personality. And so I did trade options through CFDs, uh, probably quite seriously for nearly a two year period. 
And I did have uh, a very successful run, but there were a number of big losses along the way that uh, did offset a lot of the profits that I made. And I guess the issue that I found was that my ambition um, was too large and that made me want to go larger and larger. And so the leverage that I was using became larger and larger. And I eventually realized that I was never going to get to a scale that would make me sort of a multimillionaire because eventually the positions I was going to have to run were going to be so big that I wasn't going to be able to sleep at night. And so it wasn't really going to be a sustainable way for me to make a lot of money. But I did have quite a successful run for some time. And overall, uh, across that period, I did end up making money. But uh, if I worked out sort of an hourly rate as to the time investment versus what I ended up taking out, I realized that actually there was a better way for me personally to make money. All right, so I just want to, I guess, mention a few points on CFDs in general here. Basically, everything I'm discussing is just based on experiences that I've seen, things I've seen, but none of this is to be relied on. You know, you should seek professional or financial advice before making any investment decisions. CFDs are a highly risky, a highly leveraged instrument, and your performance is going to, you know, potentially vary significantly uh, from anyone else's. Now, uh, you need to consider here that there is the big potential for losses. You can lose much more than you initially put into your account. Um, and also, you know, there is, of course, you know, potential to win as well. So I'm not taking a, a biased view here. Uh, but today I'm only wanting to sort of cover my experiences, what I've seen. But you definitely should seek professional advice before making any investment decisions. Welcome back. So based on Jonathan's experience, most CFD trades are done by retail clients, and most of these retail clients incur a loss. The next question now, of course, is how to treat these CFD losses for tax purposes under TR 2005-15, and we will cover this soon. I think you will be just as surprised about the answer as I was. In the next episode, episode 17, Chloe Ward of Intello will talk about SMSF estate planning post-July 2017. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.